0: Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine and more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21.
1: When you look at the exporter trips that start in the United States and go to the country of origin, there's nobody that looks like Uche and I.
2: Hey, everyone. It's Derek and Tamara here, and we are the co-founders of Soul Foodie. We have created the Black and Highly Flavored podcast to tell the stories and showcase the talents of creators and entrepreneurs excelling and innovating in the Black food and beverage space.
3: Tamara, how did you first meet Gail?
2: You know, it's funny. Gail and I met in Miami um, at a women's conference, and we ended up sitting next to each other, and it, we immediately clicked and like hung out that whole weekend and exchange numbers and well what three years later after attending the wedding and being there for the baby shower we've just become really good friends with Galanouche.
3: yeah yeah it was uh, it was fascinating learning in detail about the coffee business and I won't admit to them that when I do drink coffee and it's purely functional it's to get that mid-afternoon lift. maybe once a week And I'm looking at a uh, a bag of coffee that I got to walmart. <laughs> on on the, on the counter here <laughs> so we'll hide that from them until they ever, when they until come they ever visit come and right visit. But i'm sure yeah. i'm sure
2: when they come visit they're going to bring us some really good coffee and we'll sit down and have a have a cup with them So Gail and Uche, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you with us. Full disclosure to everyone who's listening, Gail and Uche are good friends of ours. So we're just really excited to have them here to talk about their business and get a little bit of background on them. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So let me, let me just ask you this. Uche, your profession is you're a doctor. And Gail, I know you have had several businesses. You're entrepreneurial. Both of you are. Mm-hmm. But what made you decide to go into the coffee business? First, you opened your eatery in Miami. And now you are officially Coffee Roasters. So talk to us about how that all came about.
1: I think what it is is that we both have Uh, love for hospitality and experiences and dining. And so we got to coffee from a bigger picture of being in the hospitality industry. And by background, I was in the hospitality industry working for a large liquor brand. And Uche and I, before we were married, decided that we were definitely going to do something in hospitality. We weren't sure what it was. We looked at having like a full-blown restaurant. We looked at hotels. We went on trips just to like study small scale hotels. And then we really thought about like what we really like in hospitality are the experiences, but the experiences around taste and flavor. And we drank a lot of coffee. And Uche was just one day just talking about the coffee that he drinks and like he thinks he could make better coffee. And why do we drink so much coffee? And it just doesn't taste good. And I was like, well, if you can make better coffee, you should go ahead and make it. And he actually went on Amazon, which is very random and bought a kitchen counter coffee roaster and it's still on Amazon. It's like this little it looks like a popcorn machine. Okay. Yeah. And he bought it and then from there he had it and then he started googling okay so now you have this and we found forums and people said you have to buy green beans cuz coffee you get it it's brown or dark brown but it starts off green and he went back on Amazon and just typed in green beans and of course that's not the coffee we use today but it, it started from there like We wanted to be in hospitality because we enjoyed experiences. We liked flavors. We narrowed down so that it was coffee and Uche went on an Amazon buying spree and then (laughs) decided that based on his popcorn maker coffee machine, that he was going to roast coffee. So that's how we got to coffee. Okay. So the eatery came first though, right? The eatery And coffee roasting came at the same time. So, of course, you can't roast for people on your kitchen counter in a popcorn maker machine. (laughs) So, we had to basically find somebody that could roast what Uche came up with in the kitchen. So, what he did was literally start contacting people in different countries. He researched where coffee came from, started contacting exporters that were on the ground. He was like, I need you to send me all your green coffee that you can at the smallest scale possible because I'm going to roast it in my house. Luckily, they were very into that because people in the coffee industry are tend to be eclectic and sent him small batches. And he would first roast it in his house. And then we found a local roaster that roasted for a larger company and Uche would send him the profiles or like, I like it this way and coffee roasting has a whole technique, but even though our little contraption in the kitchen didn't seem legit, it, it follows the same process and he would roast it in the kitchen and then send him what he did in the kitchen and say, I want you to do this in 25 and 50 pound intervals.
0: And so our whole process was exactly that. And it was a lot of fun because I knew nothing about roasting, but I knew I wanted to know more. I self-taught and um, it got better over time. I created all kinds of profiles and realized how different coffee from the same place could taste based on how you apply heat and time and air, which are the basics of coffee roasting. And we started to feel like we wanted to bring some of that joy and discovery to people in their cup.
1: So the eatery and the coffee roasting started at the same time, but from the roasting perspective, we were doing it on a small scale and paying somebody to do it on a larger scale. So whatever you drank in our eatery actually was our coffee until about now, coming up almost a year ago, we started roasting in-house.
3: Yeah. So, okay. Okay, so help me understand, full disclosure, I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I equate it to something that I'm passionate about, which is wine. And just the wide spectrum of flavors available to the winemaker as they're crafting, you know, mixing different varietals around uh, a region.
1: Wine, and this is my understanding of wine, wine can be grown in a lot of different regions. Coffee is in a specific region, although different countries consider the coffee belt, right? So thing like, the Between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn, the that, you know, you can pull out a map and figure out where it is, but that spans latitude and longitude around the world. So that covers a lot of countries. So yes, it's grown within that region. So unlike wine, where you can get it in a northern and southern hemisphere, it's a specific area that that's it, right? Then the next step is, okay, you know you want to ride coffee and here's the region. What we did is we approached it very different. So like coming into the coffee game, it's a very saturated place, just like the wine industry is, right.
3: So how do you define good coffee? I don't think it's well, either- we don't define it. We, yeah, that's we,
0: what I would say. Okay. We, we sell coffee that we like, which we believe other people will like. Now to your point about wine, the common thread, I would say is terroir. Mm -hmm. which is a word very well known to those in the wine world, T-E-R-R-O-I-R, also apropos for coffee, because it just speaks to the interaction between the crop, the handling, the climate, and the soil, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And the complexity for coffee is actually on par with wine. I won't say greater than, because I don't necessarily know that people have made those distinctions, but it's very similar in that sense. And so... It winds up being very exciting when you dig into it and you will have similar levels of strong adherence like you do in the wine world. You know, people who only drink Merlots or who only drink Chablis or, you know, that kind of thing. And so we didn't try to define what good coffee is. We literally just took each coffee, roasted it in a few different ways, tried it in different combinations and made sure that it held up well because everything we sell is something that we love but we don't sell everything that we love. yeah. And so we had to remember that we're not coming up with coffee for coffee connoisseurs or for coffee sake. We're coming up with coffee that helps people mm. power through the day okay. or enjoy it. Yeah. And so there are a lot of coffees I think that people sell just because they don't feel like they're a real coffee company or a real coffee roaster. If they don't have three Colombians or two Ethiopians yeah. or, you know, one very, very well-known Indonesian. Yeah. And the other problem you find with those kinds of coffees, I think because they are so emblematic of the field, is that you find a lot of low-quality entrants, you know? If you went to a wine shop, for instance, and you just said, show me a Merlot, not every Merlot there is something that you would like, even if you're a Merlot drinker, you know? But somebody has just made the definition, I got to offer a Merlot. And so they offer a Merlot that's not really representative of the group. And so we're continuing to comb through. What we say is that we don't rule out anything, but we will never offer a coffee just to say we have something from that origin.
3: Yeah. So you have sort of an optimal flavor profile that you're striving towards. that, and when I say profile, I don't mean it's written in stone, but as you taste it, as you feel, and how it interacts with you. Yeah,
1: I would say it's an optimal flavor feeling that we're
3: going after. Right, right, exactly. Where are you focused in the world? Right
1: now. Yeah, well, the ones we've tasted right now. So in Africa, we actually carry Burundi, which is still in the Eastern Africa profile. It's a similar um, region, yeah. Similar region to Ethiopia. They're newer as a country into the coffee world. When I say newer, like four or five years, but they've been able to really have the same taste or be able to mimic some of the taste that you like from Ethiopians because of the same soil type. In Central America, we have Honduras and Mexico and Nicaragua. And in South America, we and have- some Peruvian. And some Peruvian, that's true. Well, that's South America. South America, is yeah, Peru, true. Brazil, and Colombia. Okay. We just brought in Colombian. And from a strategic standpoint, what we're actually doing with our portfolio now, which I'm excited about is there was like that layer that's like feels good. You know, the coffee has to have this feeling that we're looking for. What we're actually doing is digging deeper into like our story and the coffee story. And now- our coffee actually feels more representative of us. So within these regions, we are working with a lot of Black-owned coffee farms. So in Colombia, our growers are Black coffee growers. So that's just another level of saying, let's support the industry, let's support the coffee that tastes good, but then let's look at who these actual farmers are.
0: Acknowledging the diversity that is actually already there, but doesn't necessarily get the limelight or the platform.
2: We will be right back after this message.
3: How do you identify those farmers? And I don't know, is there a vetting process? Once you open a
1: coffee company, the, vet, the people start coming to you. I would say that's the first thing. Oh, they find yeah. you. They, okay. Well, a lot right. of people will find you. And then there's still doesn't mean that we don't do a lot of research. But once you open a coffee company and you put it on the internet okay. and you start having an Instagram following. They're out looking. Yeah, they're out they're looking because everybody wants to buy but you also are always looking because we're small coffee roasters, and our goal is to be large coffee roasters. To be honest, and so before yeah. Uche was on Amazon, I guess buying that—that's not a—that's not a strategy now. <laughs> We have people who, who reach out to us on the farms. And obviously, given the pandemic, we can't go on those trips, but we were planning on lining with, them up. Yeah, we were planning on coffee trips and they're generally set up by exporters who go down with yeah
0: from the country of origin,
1: from, to the, from the country of origin. And you're just touring the whole country and you're meeting people and you create your own relationships. I will say that some of the things that made us align to working with coffee growers and like specifically asking the people who reach out to us, do you have any black farmers in your area? Is when you look at the exporter trips that start in the United States and go to these countries of origins, there's nobody that looks like Uche and I. they right. are not there's no black coffee shop owners on these trips at all.
2: I was gonna ask you that. Yeah. We're we're the only one And black coffee roasters. You don't see many.
0: They're they're not very few black coffee roasters. There are a few that have made a name, certainly, and yeah. you know about them and know of them, even if not personally or directly but even with us entering the field vastly in the minority
1: yeah and they don't even and the ones that we know like they're still not being given access to go on these origin trips right like it reminds me when i was in the liquor industry yes they're like black owned liquor brands but like who's going on the place of origin trips you know not them that's the first thing we thought about covid kind of made the field a little bit more accessible to us because now no one can go on trips everybody's like mail me this by next week you know send me a picture via iPhone or email of what the farmer looks like and the farm and the beans look like, because now you can't actually go there. And so I would ask them, who's growing the coffee? Who's growing the coffee? Tell me more about the story. And so although the trips in the U.S. did not have a lot of black coffee roasters or coffee companies on these trips, you best believe that the people who are growing the coffee, there are a lot of black people in those countries growing the coffee. Right, right, right. So when I'm looking at it, I'm like, wow, like nobody's talking about this. And it's not to exploit the story. It's to say it doesn't make sense. We're not representative as the buyers on the U.S. side, but the growers are often, you know, black or of African. Brown.
0: All right. origin. The beautiful thing about coffee is that you have opportunities to hear from them directly what the experience is like, second, third generation, and even, you know, in some instances when the relationship is deep enough to profile them in a way where you can share their likeness with their permission. Yeah. So these are the things that we're very excited about. It would be like seeing what the cameraman looks like, who has shot the most challenging films in your favorite movie.
1: Yeah. So we are now able to, because of COVID and the shutdown of the world, since everybody had to send information, say, hey, send me what these people look like. Send me what their profiles are. Send me about their families. And we were able to pick out, and work with, I would say, in that sense, marginalized coffee growers.
3: So do you have a story about the impact that you're having on any of these farmers?
1: Well, I think the most recent story is probably our Colombian farmer, Don Sabino is his name. And this company in Colombia actually reached out to us several times, I think, after we were profiled in Coffee Roaster Daily. Yeah, and the
0: Coffee News did a profile on us.
1: And they reached out to us and they said they really liked our story. And our story is that we're Gail Uche. he's a physician. I'm former corporate America and we roast our own coffee and still run full time jobs and roast coffee full time. And they reached out to us and said, Hey, we really like your story. The gentleman that owns it used to work for the UN asked for an assignment in Colombia, which is his native country started canvassing these Colombian coffee farms in these highly mountainous areas that are also farms in which they grow a lot of narcotics. You know, to us, it's like, well, this is how people live. You know, it's not a choice. Like they are the cartel tell them, you know, you're growing this, this month. And they're right. doing it. He took his background. I was like, I'm going to convince them that their soil can grow they can coffee. They grow something else. <laughs> yeah, coffee. And so it has worked for the past several years. And more recently, he's been able to, essentially, he converted narcotic oh. growth to coffee farms. Like about
0: 12 of them. It's like a developing right. co-op, in essence. Yeah. And like former corner boys <laughs> who decided instead <laughs> of selling dine bags, they're now going to sell beets. You know, <laughs> you got to have these
1: beets. Trust me, I'm going to get you a book. So, you know, and a lot of people may or may not know, but Colombia has a very large black population. And so these black farmers, I was particularly drawn to that story. So he sent me samples and they were blind samples. Uche tasted through them. We picked out like three of them. And one was for this gentleman named Don Sabino. And he also tells us, well, an interesting thing is this is Don Sabino's first year in the co-op, you know, this program that he's created. And so we are going to originally buy like one or two bags. But the story alone compelled us to actually, we bought out Don Sabino's whole lot. Oh, wow. So what we decided to do was buy his entire lot, meaning he doesn't need to search for another company or like convince somebody else to buy it. And in that way, that guarantees that Don Sabino now will start planting for the next coffee season. Wow, that's amazing. And I think now what you're going to see is us getting those stories out there. And they're not like pity stories. These are stories of like, this is very
0: good coffee. People making positive choices with no guarantee. But we become part of the possibility of giving a reward for that in the course of the day. Uh, But it's also a reward that feels good. Feels good to them, feels good to us, and feels good to our customers.
1: Yeah. So we want to be able to do that a lot larger scale. And that's what's going to make sense for us uh, moving forward, because there's a lot of these stories. We just so happen to like tap on the Don Sabino story. But that's how we envision like our company being a lot larger. We basically position ourselves as a husband and wife team that are black owners that patronize black coffee farmers in the coffee region. And that's what we are. And our brand is Sips Coffee. It's not just for black people, but the people behind it and the regions that we support are black. Oh, that's how we position ourselves. And what the transition, as I see like the market transitioning will look like is actually more of Uche and I in front of people, because we're not only married, but we also have, have and had professions and we have a child or kind a child on the way. We're normal people. And I don't think a lot of brands, they spend a lot of time on like influencers or everything is perfect and we're just not living that perfect life. I mean, I think
0: representation matters because I had an awful lot of bad coffee in medical school and residency, you know, and that was just really, really terrible when, you know, you're sitting down to a long study session. But then when I started coming across higher quality coffee, I wasn't dealing with a lot of people who had any similar struggle to me. And so there was a lot of disconnect there. And so I think when you look at it the way my wife has described. There's a lot of married couples out there. There's a lot of parents out there. There's a lot of people who like good coffee from all backgrounds, but, you know, you want to see something of yourself in what you patronize. So if you're someone who likes good coffee, we got you. If you're married or you got someone you love and care about deeply, we got you. If you think representation matters and you should respect the hard work that comes into something you enjoy, that's not us because we're not the coffee growers, but because we prioritize that, we got you. Yeah. You know, and so different people, I think, will find affinity to what we're doing authentically right. for their own reasons. Yeah. And we're just trying to make sure that we're accessible to them yeah. because this labor of love is, you know, just an opportunity for them to find something that is closer to what they embrace okay. than the available options.
1: So authenticity is essentially our, our brand. You may know, but I don't know too many coffee brands that have put like the people at the center of the brand.
2: So what advice would you give to spouses or family members who are working together in business? Do you have any advice for them? Know
0: your weaknesses. And your strengths. No, know know your weaknesses. You know your strengths. You've known your strengths your whole life. That's the problem.
1: Okay. I mean, says know your weaknesses. I guess, you know, I, I, I to expound on that. Yeah. I what is bit.
0: the know your weaknesses? Well, you know, I run from all the things that um, I know I do terribly, much as I may like to conquer them because I'm like a conquering deficiency person, but I also run from the things I know she does better. And there's a lot of strength in saying you've got a better handle on this or you can get there quicker, you know? And I think when all parties do that, Everything that lands in the middle, you either tackle together or you come up with an approach. But I think it starts with defaulting and deference and appreciation. And for me, that's the best way to get there. I don't got to focus on what I'm good at. I know that about like like the back of my hand. It's what I'm not good at that, you know, needs to be addressed or handled. And my wife is the best person because, you know, who's got my back better?
1: And I would say avoid overlap. So maybe that's very similar. It's like I didn't find it or don't find it helpful when... You know, everybody's doing everything in any scenario and husband and wife, it doesn't work if you both are like in charge of the same things. I obviously know every part of the business and Uche knows every part of the business. But for us, the way that we separate our business, like when it comes to like tasting coffee and um, profiling it, I don't do any of that because that would just be too much. Two people making judgment calls. When people send samples, I let them know that my husband will get back to them on it. From the marketing perspective, positioning the brand, that's all me. Ucha does not make decisions. I mean, I may show it to him, but he does not make final decisions on those. And yet
0: we test everything together in a way. Yeah. And so like, for instance, today we just came up with a new blend and I'm yeah. not going to call it out prematurely because there's a lot of brand work and positioning which, as we've suggested, is going to be my wife's strength and her forte. But every day as we make the coffee, sometimes she makes it, sometimes I make it. When I make it, I go heavy into blending and experimenting with, uh, the, you know, the grind fineness and the proportions. And there's one that I've been tweaking for about a week or so. And the last three days, it has just been really, really spot on in terms of taste. And we find ourselves really like expressing to each other, this is really, really good. Like, we haven't done this before, and we should offer this up. I empty my cup every time I have it. And so just like that, the process works. Because even though I'm doing the experimenting, so to speak, she might prepare hers differently, I prepare mine differently. But if we both like the same thing, then we've got something we want to run with. And so her hand is in everything.
2: Okay. Understood. So basically, you know your lanes. Yeah. You both know your lanes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah,
1: okay. 100%. <laughs> but then, you know, I think we've also, it's full transparency, like, this is not the first business that we've had together. So there's like some, you know, there's learnings there. Right. Right. So you've had
2: a chance to kind of figure it all out. Both of you, do you find that you have to be intentional about shutting off Gail and Uche as business partners? And just be Gail and Uche as husband and wife, or does it kind of flow? Like, do you have to
1: really focus on that? Because everything kind of overlaps, like you stated. From my perspective, I think it kind of flows because our business is intertwined with our family and our business is intertwined with our money. So it has to flow all together. And our intentions are to create a family-oriented program business. So like our son, he's two, he comes to the grocery. So. He already
0: knows mommy coffee, daddy coffee. He recognizes the mugs. <laughs> it's it's a phenomenal. Yeah, but I would oh, say great. I borrowed I borrowed a phrase from Richard Branson. We used to try to separate and shut off. And he said something along the lines of there not being a work-life balance. It's more of work-life harmony. And that's kind of what we mm-hmm. try to do mm-hmm. now. There are times we'll okay. dial it down more. And there are times we have to ramp up. But we realize there's no true separation. And that's okay. Got it. I like that. Work-life yeah. harmony. I'm, I like that.
2: I that's really Richard like that. Branson.
1: Not, not Uche. Right. <laughs> I know.
3: But you but know,
2: it, it came it 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 flowed it. through Uche. It, <laughs> he delivered it so eloquently. I, I expect so within the next
3: week there's going to be a sign here in our place that says work like harmony. <laughs> it's a beautiful <laughs> concept. What is a food trend that you're feeling right now? I'm
1: pregnant right now, so I have not been able to pick up on the trends. When I am able to get back into that, like we're very in, well, I am, I'm very into sushi and raw fish. Um, and I've been noticing a lot of the local places have fish directly from Japan. Just like coffee, you notice the, you know, comparison, so. No trends for me. Right.
3: No trends so, for me. So the counter yeah. to that, what food trend either you engage in or you're observing are you not feeling right now? Or are you hating on
0: none? None. That's the beauty of food. What for I you think... is for you. Yeah, he. No, yeah. I mean I think if you enjoy it, you know, that's the idea.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's trends we don't like, yeah. or we're just sitting on the couch for. To be honest, we eat a lot. We of eat vegan food,
0: food yes. but we eat a lot of meat. You know, Okay. we try low carb food sometimes. <laughs> we might do keto for a few days, and then we might binge on pasta for yeah. a week. So. I mean, food is to be enjoyed. It's how we see it. Yeah. And we're very fluid, I would say. We're very fluid. If we've been doing a bit too much, we probably go vegan for a few days, cut back on carbs. If we've been restricting ourselves quite a bit, then, you know, we allow ourselves to indulge.
2: And that's why we're friends, <laughs> because I'm very food fluid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to learn more about Sips and to order some of their great coffee, please visit them online at Sips
3: Coffee Roasters. Thank you for joining us today. Please be sure to follow and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SoulFoodie, S-O-U-L-P-H-O-O-D-I-E, and check out our website at SoulFoodie.com.